Hey, what's going on? My name is Matthew and welcome to the Real Life Podcast. This is a place where we hope that you can be encouraged, that your faith can be built up, and that you can leave feeling more connected to Jesus and His church than when you tuned in. My name is Shane. I'm excited for these moments together today. I'm excited that God's got you here for this conversation. I believe that there's so much that God wants to help us learn and grow in. Man, I have such a passion for Jesus. He's done so much in my life. I believe he has plans, purposes for your life, and he wants to meet you right where you're at today. Something I wonder about that I would be asking you if you're we sitting across the table having coffee or something is, what did you dream about becoming or being when you grew up? Or maybe like you're still in those early ages, you're still in school and you're aspiring to different career aspirations. I know for me, I went through kind of the classic of wanting to be a police officer or a firefighter, wanting to help people. And then I thought, oh, a doctor, that's a great way to help people. But I also, I loved animals. So like, well, maybe I'll be a veterinarian and I can help people by helping their animals and, and do things I love. I went through these different gamuts of ideas. I remember maybe a teacher, a coach, because I wanted to help people grow and develop and, and become the people that God called them to be. And while these career aspirations begin to kind of flux and change, and then God's call in my life to, to go into ministry kind of came later on as I was towards the end of my time in high school. But I remember my later teen years, while career was still kind of on the periphery, I was still thinking about it. The dream of family kind of began to eclipse whatever different career goals I was thinking about or whatever different types of people I might want to become someday in regards to a job. I remember so badly, oh, I just can't wait to be married someday, to have kids someday. Like just that vision of family was so strong in my heart. And I was so blessed when I got to meet uh, my best friend, my wife. We've been married for almost 12 years now and having three amazing kids. And I remember like just dreaming about those moments of being a dad, those moments together as family. And they're kind of like the hallmark, like snapshot moments, right? It's like, oh, I can't wait to like have my little one, like fall asleep on my chest. And just like that quiet, peaceful picture of closeness, of intimacy, like being a dad and like having that little one just right there resting on my chest and like falling asleep uh, and taking a nap together or the moment of, you know, comforting them after they kind of got a scrape on their knee or, or maybe a scary dream woke them up and being able to kind of rush in and like, hey, it's okay. I'm here. You're safe. Like these moments that I would dream about, but often in life, right? Our dreams or our perception, what we think is going to happen uh, meets reality and, and reality kind of helps us to see, well, here's what it's really like. And I can remember one moment uh, in particular uh, we'd had our first child about three years into marriage. Our daughter, Esme, actually turning eight years old right now. This week, today is her birthday as we're recording this. And she was, uh, she was a toddler and we were getting ready to have uh, baby number two. We didn't know if it was boy or girl. We decided to be a uh, surprise baby number two. And so um, I was excited regardless whether it was going to be a boy or girl. We added a boy, our, our son, Declan. And I remember thinking like, man, I'm going to be taking a week off of work. I'm going to be home with my family. It's going to be an amazing time. I'm going to get to like basically take care of things. So my wife can rest and recover. I'm excited to meet our new little one. Excited to have also just some kind of one-on-one -on -one time with, with our daughter and get to do some special things with her so she 
She's not feeling left out. And I'll, I'll take care of all the things like the laundry, the cooking, the dishes, the food. Like, man, I can't wait to serve my family. I remember like two days in, maybe three days in, just hitting the wall of exhaustion. Like someone had brought us a meal. All I had to do was like warm it up in the oven. Pretty sure I burnt it. The sink is like overflowing with dishes. I messed up the laundry. Like there's no clean burp rags anywhere. Um, Kids are melting down. I'm exhausted. Haven't like got to spend time with Jesus in a few days. I'm just like melting down, realizing, man, my picture of what I hoped this would be like um, is not meeting reality right now. And it was clear that my capacity was not up to the task. And I, I think that's so true sometimes just in our relationships, like we want to be people who love well. I think we all could all agree with, hey, we should love people. There's no one with a genuine heart that disagrees with that statement. But then reality sets in because we, we perceive, oh, here's how I want to love people. Here's the type of relationships I want to build. But then we realize it's hard. It's messy. It's difficult. Sometimes if I'm honest, I just don't want to. I just want to kind of retreat into my own space and just kind of think about myself or just check out completely. And when we're out of capacity, when we don't feel like we have the energy to focus on other people, man, it feels like compassion and love are nearly impossible. But I believe it's possible for us to cultivate a capacity to create capacity in our hearts for compassion, to love people, to grow and being people who love well. This is who God's called us to be, people who love well. So how do we do that? How do we grow and become these kind of people? Well, I wanna to turn to Luke. We've been talking through this account from this man named Luke, through the life of Jesus, through his teachings. And he has such a pivotal conversation in, in this passage right here, Luke chapter 10. If you want to follow along with me on the screen or with your Bible or Bible app, it says this, uh, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Jesus was often tested with questions and he would often respond, not with a direct answer, but with a question of his own, as you're about to see. And here's the question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Now pause real quick, because when this man asks, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? He's not just asking about heaven. He's not just wondering like, how do I have things go well for me after my time here on earth is done? Like he's, he's, yes, maybe thinking about eternity, thinking about something that's gonna last forever, but he's also asking, Jesus, how do I live the life God's asked me to live, God has for me, the best life possible right now? I mean, that's a question all of us ask. What's my purpose? How do I be fulfilled in life? How do I be happy? How do I be at peace? How do I have joy in life? That's what this man is asking. How do I inherit eternal life? Jesus replies with, a question of his own. What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? Like, what do you, you're the expert in religious law. Like what's, what's the law say? What does God's word say? And the man answers, you must love the Lord, your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Right. Jesus told him, do this and you will live. It's interesting, this time in Jewish culture, there's kind of two predominant ways of thinking, two Jewish teachers, rabbis who have their own schools, their own 
students, their disciples that they're pouring into, and they both agree on what's the most important commandment, which one carries the greatest weight. It's the first one this man lists, that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. They agree on that one, but then what comes next is where they diverge slightly. See, one, this man named Shammai, he would say, well, the next most important is to obey and keep the Sabbath, essentially to follow the rules. Like that's how you love God is, is by keeping the rules no matter what to a T. That's, that's the next most important. And then this other teacher named Hillel would say, no, actually the next most important is to love your neighbor as yourself. So we see which one Jesus kind of sides with in this conversation. So Jesus says, hey, you got it do this and you will live. Like that could have been the end of the conversation right there. But so interesting because the man says, well, he wanted to justify his actions. Like, why do we want to be justified in our actions? Well, why is it so important for me to be recognized? Like sometimes if I'm honest, I care more about being perceived by others as someone who loves well, being perceived as someone who's caring, easy to talk to, who's genuine, who will listen, who will be there for you when life gets tough. Sometimes I care more about having that reputation than I do about actually becoming that type of person. And this man says, well, he wants to be justified in his actions. So he asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? It's almost like he's asking like, Jesus, I have limited capacity here. Like surely like I can't love everybody perfectly all the time. So who, who do I have to love? Like give me the list of names. Give me the boxes to check. Give me the number of relationships I need to keep track of and keep on top of and reach out to. Like who is my neighbor? And then Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. So this man is attacked. Everything he has is taken. I mean, he is beaten to a pulp, like left for dead. And here's what happens next. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. Now this road going from Jerusalem to Jericho was really no more than a path. Like if there was two people walking on in opposite directions, you might even have to step off the path to make room for the other person. So it's not like it's this four lane highway that the priest is on the other side kind of seeing, oh, there maybe there's somebody over there. He might've actually even had to physically step over this man's body potentially because it just wasn't a, a large area. But before we get too judgmental and condemning of the priest, think about, again, his frame of thinking. If most important for him is to love the Lord your God with everything you have, everything you are, and the way you do that is by always following the rules no matter what, then in a way this priest was doing what he thought was most important because he was on the way to Jerusalem. It was his time to go be on duty at the temple to worship God, to help people offer their sacrifices. If he had had stopped and touched a dead body, he would then become unclean, unfit for service at the temple. And surely all the people that were waiting for him at the temple people who are waiting to, to sacrifice their offerings to God, surely that was more important than trying to help this one guy who all, all he knew was he appeared to be dead. So this priest decides to keep going. 
And it says a temple assistant, someone who kind of helped in the background at the temple. He walked over, so he got a little bit closer. He looked at the man lying there, but he also passed by on the other side, maybe even following the example of the priest. They might've even been traveling together in this moment. And then listen to what comes next. This is like the original classic, like a priest, a rabbi, and a minister walk into a bar, but like Jesus cloned the first one here. Because next, this is the shock and awe factor. It says, then a despised Samaritan came along. We'll get into the despised part here in a moment. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, getting closer, being willing to lean in with physical proximity, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, Jesus says, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. Now remember the original question? Jesus, who is my neighbor? That's not the question Jesus is answering here with this story. He says, which one was a neighbor to the man who needed help in this moment. He says, who was the neighbor to the man who was attacked? The man, the religious leader replied, the one who showed him mercy. Notice how he wouldn't even say the Samaritan. He just says the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Man, there's so much Jesus is wanting to teach us and show us through this moment, through the story that he tells that on the surface seems so simple, but then is leads us to reflect and to ask, what does it mean for us to love people in this way? This is what it looks like to love my neighbor as myself. How do we possibly love people when our capacity is limited, when we feel overwhelmed, stretched thin, I couldn't possibly add something else or someone else to my plate. Like, what does this look like? Well, Jesus is making some connections between his heart and the heart displayed by this Samaritan. We see some some similarities between the two. Both are outsiders. The Samaritan people were people who were despised by Jews. They were those that were formerly of the Jewish ethnic people, God's chosen people, but they had decided to intermarry, to intermingle with people from other other backgrounds, people who did not worship God. It kind of created this this messy, convoluted system of of religions that were mixed together, but they still claimed to worship the one true God. But those who had kind of kept themselves fully Jewish said, absolutely not. You are no longer part of God's chosen people with us. So they despised each other. So both Jesus and this Samaritan are outsiders. Jesus I mean, the son of God, God himself, the one who spoke creation into existence. He, he willingly submitted himself to the order of his creation. He put on flesh. He came as an outsider, like left his throne in heaven, came to the world he created. And how was he received? He was despised. He was rejected. He, he, he was thought to surely not be a man who was following God. Even later we'll see in Luke's narrative, he was thought to be a man that maybe was possessed by a demon working for Satan himself. Like he was not greeted. 
the way that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords should have been greeted by his creation. They're both outsiders despised by many. And both of them are, are moved with compassion, the compassion the Samaritan has for this man who's beaten, the compassion that Jesus has for you, for every single one of us. Whenever Jesus sees people who are looking for purpose, looking for healing, they recognize their need for God. He doesn't condemn them. He doesn't correct them. He doesn't judge them or ridicule them for not living better. He has compassion for them. He is moved, burdened with compassion for people, with compassion for you, wherever you find yourself today. Maybe struggling in a spot of addiction, in a spot of discouragement, of doubting, of fear, of insecurity. Jesus has compassion for you. He doesn't want to leave you where you are, but he's willing to meet you where you are and love you and help you to grow to a spot of fulfillment, a spot of peace, a spot of purpose, a place of joy. We see both Jesus and this Samaritan. They they meet the real needs after others had previously come and failed. The priests, the temple assistant, they walked by. The Samaritan said, I'm going to stop and I'm going to I'm gonna take care of this man. He, 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 he might not be beyond saving. He might look like he's dead, look like he's a lost cause, but I'm gonna look a little bit closer. I'm gonna engage in this relationship and see if perhaps there's some healing that I could bring, that God could bring through a little bit that I have. Man, Jesus came the same way after we had tried in our own efforts, even with the perfect law of God to, to show us how to live rightly. There's nothing wrong with God's law. There's something wrong with our human nature that apart from God's grace is fallen. We're, we're, we're broken. We're selfish and self-centered and only a, a true transformation, a true re- renewing and regeneration of our hearts can bring us into the spot of living the lives that God has created us to live a life of purpose, a life full of relationship with him and relationship with each other, not hiding in secret, not shamed, not guilt, but a life of freedom, of joy, of generosity, a life of contentment. And only Jesus could come and and meet this need because it was a need that had to change our hearts and really renew us and restore us on the inside before anything could happen on the outside that would last and change and stay. Man, we see that both of these men, Jesus and this Samaritan, man, they came before it was too late, right? Like this man was not dead. He was left for dead, but the Samaritan showed up before it was too late. And maybe you're, there's a spot in your life where you're wondering that, 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 that door is closed. The story is over for my marriage from our relationship with my kid who's, who's wandered off right now, who's struggling, who's running from God, who's, who's addicted, who's, who's in a, a tough space or, or, or for, for my, my own life, my, my own wreckage of relationships, like the story is over and Jesus says, no, I, I have plans and purposes for your life. The story is not over. If you would allow me to work in your life, if you would believe and trust that I can lead you to a better place. And then both of these provided for future needs. The Samaritan said, hey, I'm gonna stop back by later. Any bill that he's run higher than what I've already given you, I will gladly pay when I'm there. And Jesus provides not only the promise of eternity, the promise of heaven, so we no longer have to fear death and wonder what's gonna happen when our last breath is breathed on, on this earth, but he also gives us his spirit 
the helper, the comforter, the one that will lead you into all truth, the one that will walk with you, that will transform you, continue to renew your mind, renew your heart to help you become the man, the woman God has called you to be. This is what Jesus has done for every single one of us. Now, I remember the, that moment of thinking that my life was, was kind of it. Like I had kind of reached the end of everything the world had to offer me and realized there was nothing else that I could look for and discover that would offer any sense of peace and purpose and joy. I remember wondering like, okay, well, there's just no hope for me because the drugs haven't worked. The relationships haven't worked. The popularity hasn't worked. Remember Jesus in that moment meeting me and just overwhelming me with his love, with his grace, with his compassion and saying, no, I see you. I love you. I want to redeem your life. I have plans and purposes that you can't even fathom right now. But right now, let me just overwhelm you with my love and my grace. Let me first restore you to relationship with me. See, when you and I are recognizing God's love for us, when we're overwhelmed with his undeserved favor, his grace has been poured out so generously. We look back and we see his faithfulness time and time and time again in our lives. Man, that awareness of God's love for us, that's what creates capacity for compassion. Like when we talk about trying to just love better or, or do more or try harder, man, that is an endless cycle. It's gonna lead us nowhere. But if you, are, you and I, man, we are aware of God's love for us. That leads us to this life of love and purpose. Clarity of God's love creates capacity to love the people around us. And God's love for you, recognizing the undeserved nature of it. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There wasn't anything that he was lacking, anything that we could bring to the relationship that he was in need of. He loved us because it's his nature, his character, his heart. When you recognize that love for God, man, that's what unlocks this potential to love other people well. See, Jesus came and he laid down his life so you could have this rich and satisfying life, a life of purpose, a life of fulfillment, a life of joy and contentment. That life is found in a life that's poured out in loving other people. So often we think, well, if I need to find purpose, I need to find fulfillment, I need joy, I need to focus more on me. I need some more me time. I need to take care of myself. And yes, there is a piece of healthy habits and healthy patterns of not getting burnt out. But Jesus is saying, actually, you know what? It's more blessed to give than to receive. You want to find fulfillment? Pour yourself out for other people. You want to find joy? Serve other people. You, You want to find the peace that your heart has been longing for for so long? Man, love other people really well. That's what Jesus does for us. He sets it as a model, as a picture of of how we are to be. You know, there's this man named John. He was one of Jesus' original 12 disciples. And I love John 1 because it was the first book of the Bible that I ever read in its entirety as I was trying to understand, is Jesus really who he says he is? Can he really save my life? Can he really lift me out of this pit that I've been flailing in for the past several years? Can he really redeem these broken spots in my heart? I remember reading through John 
And I'd never read it before. And so I didn't realize until I got to the end who he was talking about because he always would reference himself, not as John, but he would say the one Jesus loved, the disciple Jesus loved every time he referenced himself as he wrote. John was so connected to and just recognized God's love, the love of Jesus for him. And that's what allowed him to write these amazing words. He writes these letter, this letter right here to some early followers of Jesus about how we are to love because of God's love for us. He says, first of all, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. Jesus gave up his life for us. He laid everything out. He left nothing on the table. He, he put every bit of himself into his teaching, into his miracles, into the moments that he would touch people that were considered unclean and all the way to laying his life down on the cross. No one took it from him. He gave it freely because of his love for you. He says, so we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, then how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Let's not just talk about it. He says, our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God. Think about this man who wanted to be justified in his actions. He wanted to be confident. You want to be confident before God? John says, you love people well. You love people in, in truth and action. If you have extra and somebody doesn't have, you, you willingly give that. You look for opportunities and you come to the question that Jesus really is answering this story. Not, okay, God, who do I have to love? But God, who are you calling me to love? Not who is my neighbor, but God, to whom can I be a neighbor? Maybe it's your literal neighbors right now. Most of us for the, right now, we are at home more than we've probably ever been in our lives. The weekend activities, the nighttime functions, the kids sports, whatever it might be, like it's postponed. It's put on the back burner right now. You are probably home more than maybe you've ever been in the last decade of your life. You know what's amazing about that opportunity? is to get to know the people who live around you. Maybe it's conversations over the fence. Maybe it's just understanding who they are, about their family, their story, their background, and just leaning into those relationships. Now, I was so blessed this last week, one of our neighbors, she was cooking up some of her grandpa's like famous recipe, clam chowder. I love clam chowder. No one else in my family likes seafood, so we never have it at home. And she's like, hey, can I bring you a bowl of clam chowder? I'm like, absolutely, you can. Like, absolutely. Man, I was so blessed like by this simple act of like her bringing me a bowl of clam chowder and it was delicious. It might be something as simple as that. I heard about another family who a few doors down, there's a widow who's older. She lives alone. She has some health complications all summer long. They've been mowing her yard and mowing her yard is just turned into some conversation because she feels alone. She's scared. She wonders if she's going to be okay in this time. And this family just loved her in a very simple, but practical way. Man, I heard about someone else who a friend of his had a close death in his family he said, man, I, I want to I be with you. I want to talk with you. I just want to sit with you and grieve with you. When can we grab coffee? And I just want to sit and listen. Maybe we, just, we, maybe we just need to sit in silence for a moment. I just want to sit there with you 
in that spot of hurt because I love you. So maybe it's your neighbors. Maybe it's your family. Family can be tough because you don't get to choose them, right? They're your family, whether you like it or not. Maybe it's the family that God's calling you to love. Maybe it's your friends. Those are usually a little bit easier because you get to choose your friends. Maybe it's areas where you kind of organize around like a, a social moment or, or, or a shared interest or goal, whether it's music or art or entertainment. Man, there's people, relationships that God has all around you. Ask God, who are you calling me to love? And then make it really simple. The way this Samaritan does, he, he, he used what he had. I mean, he used the resources that he had, the wine, the oil, the bandages. He, he used his own donkey. He chose to walk the rest of the way. It wasn't an extra spare donkey that he happened to have there. Like he used his own donkey to bring this man to the spot where he could be healed and, and rest and be made whole again. It was the energy and, and attention that he gave. He actually walked over and, and leaned in closer to this man. He was willing to be involved in his life. He gave his time. Man, he might've had a meeting that he was late for or had to postpone. He might've had something else that he was, he was trying to get to that he would be delayed because he was willing to allow his life to be interrupted. Who is God calling you to love? Who is he calling you to be a neighbor to? And how can you do that right now? You know, it's interesting. We, we see such a small, like little snippet of this man's story, the Samaritan man. We don't know. I mean, for all we know, he could have gone on and like he could have started a hospital for weary and, and broken and, and hurt and, and attacked travelers who, who had been attacked along the way. Like, but he, we don't see any of that. What we see is he helped the one person who was right there in front of us. And certainly we need people who have those kind of goals, aspirations, big visions for the hundreds, the thousands, the millions of people. And they're going to start those nonprofits. They're going to start those hospitals. They're going to do those amazing things. But if we're honest, for most of us, that's kind of beyond our scope. And sometimes we think, oh, because well, I can't do that, I can't really make any impact. But man, what about one person this week? What if every single follower of Jesus on this planet loved one person in this way, with this kind of intentionality, with this kind of purpose, with this kind of sacrifice? And what could God do through that? Like, why not us? Why not you? Why not start today? Ask God, God, who is the person you're calling me to love and how can I love them with where I'm at, with what I have available to me? Man, when you and I recognize God's love for us, we're overwhelmed by his grace. Recognize the undeserved favor and generosity and mercy he's poured into our lives that leads to this life of love and compassion for others. And that is the best life possible. There's no greater purpose, no greater joy, no greater fulfillment you will ever find than living a life of love the way Jesus modeled in his sacrifice and his love for you. Let me pray. God, we love you. God, even our capacity to love you comes because you first loved us. God, let that sink deep into our hearts. God, when we were God, at our worst, we, when we didn't even consider following you or, or trusting you or living according to your design, God, that's when you displayed your love. God, you laid down your life, Jesus, and in such an incredible way, God, such an 
undeserved sacrifice, God, so that we could have life. God, be restored to relationship with you. God, be transformed in our hearts to become these new creations. God, and be given the capacity to to live these lives of love. God, the lives you've created us to live. Because it's your character, it's your nature, God. And we bear your image. So we're to come after you and live these kind of lives. God, would you, God, lead us to the greatest lives possible. God, the hope that we desire, the peace we long for, the purpose, the fulfillment, the contentment. God, those things that we all want. God, would you lead us to these places as we learn to love really well. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. Be sure to stay in touch and visit the description for our contact info. We would love to be praying for you. As always, we hope this podcast encouraged you and pointed you closer to Jesus. Take care.